Good morning. This beautiful rug covered up my marker. I'm not sure where I'm supposed to go. Um, but it is great to see you guys this morning. It's great to be here. It is great to worship with you. My name is Kendrick, and I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary Church West Hills, and it is great uh, to be worshiping with you. And I am so glad that you are here with us. Now, we are a, a community church, right? We are a, a church that is focused, and our mission is on making disciples in our community. And we do that by focusing on the word and worship on Sunday mornings. So one of the pillars, one of the things that we talk about is we want to teach truth. And so Sunday mornings is a time that we do that. And so I want to thank uh, Dustin and the worship team for just opening up our hearts and just bringing us before the throne of our King as we worship Him and as we open up His Word and study it. And so uh, thank you, worship team. That was... uh, it was a beautiful time of worship of our Savior. So thank you guys for that. So we're going to go ahead. So go ahead and open your Bibles. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Um, I have had to really focus on slowing down in preparing this message because these last couple weeks of studying this passage has been awesome. Right? God has just been doing a number on my heart and there are so many things I wanted to share with you, but we're going to just focus it down and we're just going to focus it on one thing. But before we start that, let's just back up a little bit. Last week we started a new study on the heart of Christ, and that is going to be the focus for the entire church over the next several weeks. We're going to be looking at the heart of Christ. Here on Sunday mornings, it's what I'm going to be talking about, it's what I'm going to be teaching about. We also have community groups that are meeting throughout the week that that's what they're going to be discussing. That's what they're going to be talking about. We also have a book for anyone who wants one. We have them in the lobby. You can pick up one of these books, and this will augment your study as we study the heart of Christ. So if you don't have one, you can pick one of those up in the lobby. Um, We're all in for these next several weeks, right? Tell Thanksgiving we're going to be looking at the heart of Christ. If you haven't joined a group, it's not too late. You can uh, still join a group, and if you're not sure, and you're like, I don't know which day works best for me, or blah, 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 there's a whole bunch of reasons. We all have lives, but Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, if you show up to church, we have a group for you, we have a group for your kids, we have a group for your baby, so if nothing else works, show up at 9 o'clock, and we will have a study for everybody in your family. Um, If you want to get with one during the week, just come see me, we've got several different ones, but this is just going to be a great thing and a great study in the life of our church. You don't want to miss this. And as we continue this morning looking at the heart of Christ, let me remind you that throughout Scripture we see that the heart represents the, sinners, the center of one's emotion and his desires and our inclinations. The heart is the way, reason that we say the things that we do, that we feel the way that we do, and that we act the way that we do. It comes down to our heart. The heart is the vital force of driving impulse for someone. And when we say that someone has a gold medal heart, that means they have a heart like the drive of an Olympic champion to push their body and their mind, sometimes too far, sometimes too hard, but they push their body to achieve the top position in the world in their sport. You say the heart of a gold medal champion, I mean your eyes are fixed on the prize, your heart is focused on that gold medal and that motivates you, that drives you to not only get to the end, but it drives you to embrace the process, 
that there's something about that process that you find worthy to get to the end, to get that prize, to get that gold medal. My question for you is, what are some of those things that are that important to you? What is something that you've put your heart and it was set on them and you knew it was going to be difficult, you knew it was going to be hard, you knew there was going to be challenges, but you could see the end and your heart was set on the end. What were some of those things that pushed you mentally and physically, but your heart was set on the prize and there was nothing that was going to hold you back? And for me, when I think about this, there are several things that I think about, and one of them was just graduating boot camp. I was graduating, my, my Marine recruiter, he looked me in the face right before I got uh, on the, the bus, and first he said, don't ever come back, quitting. But second, he said, I bet you can't graduate the honor man of your platoon. That became a target, Right? You don't just tell me I can't do something. That became a focus. That became something I set my heart on. And I said, not only do I want to be the platoon honor man, I want to be the platoon honor man of the honor platoon. So we're going to make this platoon the the best thing ever. And from that moment until graduation, that's what my heart was set on. I trained harder. I, I, I worked harder. When I was in boot camp, I connected and built relationships. My heart was set on being the honor man of the honor platoon. Nothing was going to stop me. I knew from the very beginning that was going to be hard. Everybody always tells you that boot camp is hard. I knew it was going to be difficult. I knew I was lying to my mother when I was getting on the bus. And I said, don't worry, it's just like Boy Scout camp. I knew I was lying. But nothing was going to stop me from being the honor man. I knew that I was going to lack sleep. I knew that I was going to lack food and be hungry. I would have an abundance of people yelling at me. I knew that was going to happen. I knew I was going to have lots of pull-ups and lots of sit-ups and tons of marching and tests. I was going to have lots of toilet cleaning and lots of uh, haircuts. None of those things I enjoy or like, but my heart was set on graduating. And while there were difficulties ahead of me, my heart was set on graduating honorment and doing whatever it took that I actually began to embrace the process of boot camp and enjoy boot camp. And at the end, I realized that was worth it, right? That was worth it, and my heart found some satisfaction in knowing that. But what is in your life, what is there something where the end prize made the pain and the effort, the frustrations worth it before you even got to the end? You said, man, this is going to stink, and maybe it was, maybe it's academic accomplishments, I know that the only reason that I went to college was to get commissioned in the Marines, to get commissioned as an officer. I had to go to college. I did not enjoy one day of, well, I enjoyed a lot of days in college, but none that were in class in college. Um, And so that was a struggle for me. Maybe it was a, a certain job, and you had to go through training or get some certifications. Maybe it was a job position, and there was going to be an extended um time that you were going to have to do something you didn't like or didn't enjoy doing, but you said, hey, I'm going to do this because that's what my heart is setting on, and you push on to it and when we look at those things in somebody it tells us a lot about their hearts it tells us a lot about who they are uh, things that they're willing to put up with when we see what people are seeking and what they're willing to pay for it it tells us a lot about them and in these couple verses that we're going to look at today we're going to learn what would bring God's heart joy and the price that he is willing to pay for it. So I'm just going to read to you. Just, we're going to look at just two verses today. And we're really going to just focus on 
a couple words out of them. But if you guys go ahead and open your Bibles, we're in chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And when I read this verse to you, many of you are familiar with this verse. This is a verse that we often turn to in the Christian faith. This is in a chapter that talks about the endurance of faith. That is where we find this. This is the the start of that chapter. We just talked about the hall of faith and all these people that had faith. And then we come to this chapter and it talks about how we have to endure in faith and how we look to Jesus to endure in the faith. That Jesus endured. He saw the cross before him, but he endured the trials and the tribulations and the persecutions. He endured everything that was set before him as he stayed focused on the joy that was set before him. But if we're not careful, we will read through this passage and we will miss something significant about the heart of our Savior. We will just breeze right past it. We think, oh, Jesus is my example when things get tough, when things are hard, when I'm facing trials. um, I just got to remember Jesus and, and look to Jesus. And we skip over a very important truth about the heart of God. When we look at this, we say, you know what, he's... Jesus is my Savior, I'm just going to put my head down and just trudge through it. I just got to trudge through it just like Jesus went to the cross. But we miss something very important about the heart of our Savior. We see that in this, Jesus faced the cross and all that comes with the cross. The beatings, the shame, the torture, being spit on, the ultimate death. And he was able to do this, as we look at this passage, it says he was able to do this because... For the joy that was set before him. And what we want to look at today is, what is that joy? What is it that Jesus could set his heart on and it would make all of that worth it? What would give our Savior such joy that he would willingly face such pain? That he'd be willing to give up his life so freely? What joy was on his heart to make him want to face the cross as he stood in the shadow of the cross? First, and this is, this is very simple, there are two things that we're going to look at, and the, the first thing that we're going to look at is Jesus prays one of his final prayers with his disciples as he predicts his death, as he's talking about his death. He says this in John 17, he says, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. We know that when Jesus went to the cross, he was going to be restored back to the place of glory that he had with his father for all of eternity, that the world existed and before the world even existed. And we know that that brought him joy. But that glory he had before the incarnation, that wasn't something he had to come to earth and live for. He had that glory before he even became a son, before he even became uh, to earth as a man. So there has to be more to it. It doesn't make sense for God to say, hey, I just came just to test this out and see what happens and now I'm going to have everything go back to exactly the way it was before the crucifixion. 
even before the 33 years of life that Jesus lived in a fallen world. I am sure that the beauty of heaven and the comforts of home for Jesus far exceed anything that he found here on earth. There was something else that Jesus had set his heart on, something else that would bring him joy, something else that made the pain and the shame of the crucifixion worth it for him. And that was the redemption of his people. The healing of our hearts and providing a way for his people to have fellowship with him. Providing a way for his people to be in eternal fellowship. Giving life to his people so that they could walk in fellowship with him. He looked forward with joy to the people that he would save. He would literally save the world. He willingly gave his life his sheep, his people. And Jesus said this. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Just for a minute, we have to stop and really think about what Jesus is saying. I am the good shepherd, and only the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. What does the crucifixion tell us about our Savior's heart? I'll be honest with you, as I was preparing this sermon, there were so many points that we were going to cover, but I just wanted to stop and just focus on one truth that we see here. Focus on one thing, and so many times we talk about sermons, we have all of these points, and you got to do this, and do this, and do this, and this will help you do this. This is all we're going to talk about today, is just a simple belief. There is a simple truth that we are going to talk about today that will utterly change your life. And that is realizing what that joy was before him. The joy which was before him, the joy of leading many sons and daughters. That includes you. That includes me. He was leading, as scripture tells us, sons and daughters to glory. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus found joy. Found joy in us and forgiving us and redeeming us. It was because of what he did on the cross, what he faced during the crucifixion. We call it the Passion Week. All of the sham trials and the beatings and the humiliation, the suffering, being nailed to a cross and left to die was all overshadowed by the joy that was to come. The the joy that was set before Jesus was his goal in redeeming the human race. You are all very familiar with this verse. It is one of the, it is, I believe, the most famous verse in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That God loved you so much that he gave his son so you could have eternal life. And what does that mean when we talk about eternal life? That means forgiveness and redemption and being restored and being healed and being able to fellowship with the one and holy God. Church, think. Think about this. What does this verse tell us about the heart of the Savior? What is the joy that was before him? What were the things that he was thinking about as he was being beat, as he was put a a crown of thorns on his head, as he was walking to the cross What was he thinking about? What was his heart set on? 
It was set on the forgiveness of sins. It was set on redeeming us, making us right with him and restoring us. It was set on showering us with grace and mercy. As Jesus walks to the cross, his heart is filled with joy when he thinks about showing you his grace. When he thinks about showing you his mercy. Think about the love of Christ for his creation, the heart of of the creator for his creation. So many times we're afraid to come to Christ because we think, man, I really, 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 really screwed up. And when I talk about really screwing up, I'm not talking about missing your quiet time for the day. I'm talking about you like wake up in life and don't know how you got there, not sure where you are, and the only thing you know is this is bad screw up. That's the kind of screw up that I am talking about. And we think I can never come to Christ like this. I can never come to God like this. I don't know where I am. I know it's bad. Right? Maybe you've known that you've been running away from God for a long time. Maybe you've been celebrating your hatred of God for a long time. And then God grabs your heart and he's stirred in your heart. And you're thinking, oh man, I need to go to Jesus, but I can't. Right? I'm too far away. My heart is too broken. There's too many things here to, to, that I don't want Jesus to know about. And I'm going to try to fix them before I come to Jesus. Let me tell you something about the heart of Jesus. Let me tell you what was on the heart of Jesus as he went to the cross. It was that moment. It was this moment that you're realizing about all the things that are keeping you from God. And at that moment, you were on Jesus' heart. That's the joy he was receiving, the joy of forgiving you. The joy of pouring out his mercy and his grace on you was so much more than the spit, than the beatings, than the sour wine. But it was the joy of forgiving you that out shadowed all of those things he went to the cross with restoring you on his heart and it gave him joy it is his joy to forgive you it is he is waiting with a smile on his face for you to come to him for him to help you for him to heal you for him to restore you that is the joy that was on his heart God is not the angry old man that is looking for reasons to hate you. And we think of all these things, and and we all have plenty of reasons for God to hate us, but he doesn't see any of those things. He loves you. So much so that he went to the cross with the joy of forgiving you on his mind. He is anxiously awaiting for you to return to him. He is anxiously awaiting he cannot wait for you to come back to him and for him to forgive you and to shower you with his grace and to show you his mercy and for his glory to be declared throughout the world he is like a parent who's found the perfect gift for their child and cannot wait for their child to open it as parents who aren't God and we are fully aware of that we struggle with finding the perfect gifts for our kids But when we find that one thing, we're willing to do anything. We will save, we'll adjust our our budget. Melissa will work extra shifts if she needs to just because we look forward to the joy that our child will receive 
being honest with you, it's kind of selfish on our part. I'll admit that. But when we are able to give one of our kids a gift that they will love and we see that joy in them, we reciprocate that joy. But here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus knows the best thing for you. Jesus knows that the best thing for you is him. That is the best thing in any of your life. And Jesus endured the cross. Right? He, he looked forward to that joy of giving him to you. He looked forward uh, uh, to you seeing that joy when you realize that you are forgiven. When you realize that his grace is enough. And his heart was filled with joy. And this is not a, a one-time gift. When we come in relationship with Christ, we know in Christ, we, this is a never-ending supply of grace and a never-ending supply of forgiveness in our life. Some of us who have experienced the grace of God and whose lives have been transformed by the love of God, we start to actually separate good sins from bad sins. We start to triage some of our sins between this is a small sin and this is a big sin. Right? We don't want to overstay our welcome in his pool of grace, so we're going to hold on to some sins and just give him the big sins. So we limit how many times we have to go back to the pool, how many times we have to go back to the Father and ask for his grace once again. I want you to listen to, to Pastor Dane Ortlud what he wrote and how he summed this up. Pastor Ortlud said this, Christ does not get flustered and frustrated when we come to him for fresh forgiveness, for renewed pardon, with distress and need and emptiness. That's the whole point. It's what he came to heal. He went down into the horror of death and plunged out through the other side in order to provide a limitless supply of mercy and grace to his people. Amen. Right, we have some crazy notion that God only gives us a certain amount of grace, that he only forgives us some magical time of for forgiveness, and we don't want to waste that on something small. And so we let the sin build up in our life and build up in our life and build up in our life, these inequities. And the prophet Isaiah, he reminds us of this in Scripture. He says, but your inequities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. That's bad. Right? Anything in our life, whether, it's, whether we think it's big or it's small that separates us from God, is bad. And that should lead us to repentance of all of our sins. Not just the ones that we deem are small or that we deem are bad enough, but all of our sins, we should repent we should not hide, we should not separate, we should not try to triage our different sins and see which ones we're going to hold on to and which ones we're going to give to God. Scripture promises us, this is a promise of Scripture, that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not only does He forgive us our sins, but it is His joy to forgive us our sins. It is that act of forgiving our sins. It is that act of us being restored to Him. That was the joy that was on his heart as he went to the cross. When you come to Christ for mercy and love and help in your anguish and perplexities and sinfulness, you are going with the flow of his own deepest wishes, not against them. You're not going against them. And notice that our seeking his grace is not about us. 
as much as it is about him. His endless supply of grace, his endless glory, his everlasting love, his desire, his heart to forgive us all of all of our sins. That's a lot of sins. When you think of all the people and you think of all the sins of all the people and his ability to do that demonstrates his glory above everything. It's his own love for us that not only brings him joy in redeeming us, not only does it bring us joy in the grace that we find in his desire and his ability to forgive, to restore, and to heal, but it brings glory to his name as his power is demonstrated throughout the world. Pastor John Piper, he said it this way. He said, his joy is in our redemption, which rebounds to God's glory. We share the joy with Jesus, and God gets all the glory. Isaiah tells us that we were created for his glory. That's our sole uh, means of being created. That's what we're here. We are created to bring the creator glory. We are created to bring him glory, to praise his glorious name, to thank him for his abundance in our life, and to praise his abundant grace, the riches of his love, the splendor and majesty of a God who is righteous and just and having power in his name, that we may come to him in reverence and awe. That we may come to him knowing that he will forgive us. We can come to him knowing that he finds joy in forgiving us. And we proclaim his glory to the world. That is the very purpose of man, to glorify God in every way. And we glorify him when we trust in his grace. When we trust that his grace is enough, that his love is never ending, and we bring all of our sins before him. That is how we glorify God. In the book, Gentle and Lonely, the author writes this. We tend to think that when we approach Jesus for help in our need and mercy amid our sins, we somehow distract for him, lessen him, impoverish him. As truly God, Christ cannot become any more full. He shares in his Father's immortal, eternal, unchangeable fullness. Yet as truly man... Christ's heart is not drained by our coming to him. His heart is filled up all the more by us coming to him. His glory is displayed in our constantly renewed relationship with him. His glory is displayed in his constant forgiveness and grace in our lives. His glory is displayed when we can walk with our Father. Our fellowship with our Heavenly Father has been fully restored by the wonderful gift of eternal salvation through the work of Christ. Paul wrote in the letter of Romans, the work of Christ, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. It is the work of Christ that we can be healed and restored and redeemed. It is only by His grace that sinners like us can be called sons of daughters of the great King. It's because of the work on the cross. And when we can't come to him, not only do we fill his heart with joy, but we proclaim his glory to the world. And his glory is on display. And church, when we think about that truth and how does that affect us in our lives, that affects every single person in here if we sit and if we really believe what we really believe is true. For those of you that are waiting to clean up your lives before you come to Jesus, know that it is his joy for you to come as you are. 
that you just come to him right now. You bring all your brokenness. You bring all that junk. You bring your past and your history. And you just say, hey, God, here it is. Take it. And so you say, well, you don't know my past. I have too much past. You don't know how great my sin is. You, you have never met my family. God, you don't know the state of my marriage. You can't help this. It is too broken. But you have to know the truth that when Jesus walked to the cross, his heart was set on the joy of healing and redeeming and restoring and giving life to the death. And Jesus is waiting to show you his glory. If you trust him. And many of you, he is working your heart right now and you're just not sure what to do. You're confused, you're twisted, you say, I know, but that's cute and all, Pastor, I get it, but you don't know me. But God knows you, and it's simple. All you have to do is surrender to him. All you have to do is say, I give up, and God, I'm going to follow you. All you have to say is, this burden is too heavy, I want to give it to you. I'm tired of doing this my own way. God, I don't know where I am, but I need you to show me the way out. And he will. And he will. The only thing you have to do is give him your heart. And if you fall into that category and this is something you're like, okay, I want, I, I want to do this. I want to just encourage you to either contact me or contact Pastor Tim or talk to one of your brothers and sisters in Christ and let us celebrate with you. And let us have that time as God is celebrating, as he is pouring his grace and mercy on you and God is celebrating. Scripture tells us that the heavenly bodies are celebrating and as brothers and sisters in Christ, we want to celebrate with you. And if you fall into that, and if you're watching online, you can send us an email and call us. If you're in this room, you can come see me. I'll, I'm here all the time. But you can come see me this morning. I'll be down here somewhere after this morning. But we want to celebrate with you as Christ's heart is filled with joy for the opportunity to show you his grace and to pour mercy on you and to forgive you. And some of you have come to Christ, but you've walked away. You found you're, you're no longer walking with him. And that may be intentional. That may be unintentional. And now you're thinking like, oh, God's really angry with me. I can't go back. And as you look at the house, you see the lights are on. God is not like me. He's not waiting there to beat you like I would my kids if they came home late or if they came home bad. Right? As Tim talked about just a couple weeks ago, he's the prodigal father. He is the father that has extravagant grace. And he's just waiting for you to come back. He's just waiting for you. There's no beating. There's no whooping. There is a party and celebration and joy like you would not believe waiting for you to come back. And you just need to do that. You just need to turn and run back to the Father. He is, he is waiting for you. It is his joy to forgive you and his glory to restore you. And he is waiting And some of you that are walking with Christ, you have found the true secret. You have found that not only is his joy in forgiving you, but his joy is found in a relationship with you. Yes, Jesus wants to forgive you, and yes, Jesus has great joy in forgiving you, but Jesus' heart is for you. That he wants a relationship with you, that he wants you to walk with him. And as we do that, and uh, this is one of the things this week, is I, I've just realized that when I'm in relationship with him, every second of the day I'm just giving God 
problems. I am that guy and saying, God, I messed this up. God, I, I screwed this up. And God is walking beside me to say, no, here's more grace. Here's more grace. And he is happy and joyful and willing to do that. And we are walking and our relationship is so close. As I realized, I don't have to hold on to this stuff anymore. Man, there's sometimes I think I'm a pastor. I shouldn't be doing this. I can't tell God about this or I can't tell God about my thoughts. And I just give it to God and he just walks with me and smiles. I got that taken care of. I got that taken care of. And that changes your life when you are walking in the grace of God. And as you walk in his grace, does your worship reflect your joy found in his forgiveness? Man, do people see you and say, dang, what's going on with them? What, what do they have? Does your life reflect his glory to those around you? You've all seen that. You've all been with somebody. And you thought, man, I wish God was working in my life like they're working in that person's. I remember I was in a room with a bunch of pastors, and one of the pastors went out to use the restroom. And one of the other pastors is like, who is that guy? He oozes Jesus. Like, what, what higher compliment could you have in life to be like that? Is your heart filled with the joy of Christ as he forgives you again and again and again? If so, man, praise God. Right? Praise God. Church, when we come to Christ in forgiveness and live in relationship with him, we are part of the joy that his heart was set on as he walked to the cross. When we come to Christ in forgiveness and live in relationship, we're part of the joy, right? Think about that. As Christ was walking to the cross, he was thinking about you. He was thinking about your forgiveness. So many times we think, oh, God's thinking of all the good things I've done. That would have been a really, really short walk. That's not what God is thinking about. God is thinking about you and he's thinking about the forgiveness that he can just pour into your life and the mercy. And that gave him joy as he was on the cross. You were on his heart. And when he went to the cross and thought of you and he thought of you coming to him in forgiveness, he thought of you being in relationship with him, our Lord and Savior had joy. Our Lord and Savior had joy. And church, this week, as you think back, I want, to, I, I want you to live your life like you know that God loves you. Right? You don't have to question that anymore. You don't have to wonder about it. And some, sometimes we think that God begrudgingly loves us because he has to, because he's God, so he has to love us. But this passage tells us that the joy that was before him, right, his forgiveness of you and him showering you with grace and mercy gives him joy as he was going to face one of the darkest times in his life. You were on his heart and you gave him joy. Dear Heavenly Father, as we sit and we think about how much that you loved us, how much that you care for us, Lord. And as we think about how much we mean to you, that as you were walking to the cross, you said, this is worth it. This is worth it for my sons and daughters. 
this is going to be so awesome that I'm just going to forgive them and shower them with my grace. My, my grace will be all over the place and that my glory will be proclaimed throughout the world when people see how much grace I have and how much lives are changed. And Lord, I just pray for the people whose hearts you're working in right now that you would just give them the courage to step forward, that you would give them the courage to just seek you and to follow you and, and to love you. And Lord, there's others in here, and Lord, they've been walking with you for a long time, but maybe there's a couple things that they're holding on to, and Lord, I would just pray they would just give that to you. I pray that this week, this church, this church body, everybody that's here with us, everybody that's watching us online, I just pray that we would be able to walk in unison with you, that we would give up stuff, and that we would feel the grace and the joy in our lives that you provide, that we would be a light to the world, that we would be your hands and feet, and that we would worship you. And as we are worshiping you, people would say, I want that. Whatever they have, I want that, and we would be able to proclaim your glory and how our lives were changed to our friends and our family in this community, that here in West Hills, your name would become greater than all as we worship and love you. Lord, we love you, and we thank you, and it's in your son's gracious name of Jesus we ask all of these things. Amen.